Feaster. Welcome to Regeneration. See some new faces. Um, one of my favorite days today. And uh, let's pray. God, um, thank you for coming down from your throne to be amongst us, to show us how to live, for dying for us and for raising from the dead. Pray, Lord, that your spirit is here with us and and speaks to each person here individually and that uh, your spirit ministers to each person here uh, where they're at. In Jesus' name, amen. I think most people are interested in spirituality where we live. Um, I think you'll be pretty hard-pressed to find an atheist around this, these parts. And when I say these parts, I'm, I'm meaning uh, in our local community and in Oakland. Um, spiritual, spirituality is rampant around here. Um, you go to a local coffee shop, you go to a store, or any place that there's a community board, and you're going to see how spiritual um, that society is. And most people here believe that there is a God. And that there is a spiritual element to humans. And most people here believe in a life after death. And most people actually believe in Jesus. I don't think you're going to hear somebody out there that says, oh, Jesus, that guy never existed. You're not going to hear that around here. And they believe that he was a great man, that he was a great teacher, a great proponent of social justice, a great leader, and a great many other things. But people are so sure that he came back to life. That, it starts getting a little uh, sketchy for them. And they also have a hard time believing that he's the only way to God. And that's hard for them too. But there's this thought that all religions are the same. And they all say the same things. And that they lead to the same place. But they don't. I believe that different religions deserve the respect of, of being understood. But they aren't the same. One way that Christianity is unique is that it didn't evolve. There are other major religions that evolved around the teachings of of one or more people, but Christianity didn't evolve. It exploded onto the scene. It bursted forth. And it came into being overnight, literally overnight. So let me explain. Around 2,000 years ago, there was a country called Israel that rubbed the Roman Empire the wrong way. And there was a good percentage of Jews who were looking for a liberator uh, to, to come free them from the Roman oppression, from the Roman rule. And this liberator was known as the Messiah. And under the Messiah's leadership, they would be set free and he would usher in this new kingdom of God. And back then there were many people who attempted to lead these freedom revolts. And, and some people thought of, of these different revolutionaries as messiahs. And an Israeli friend of mine who holds a Ph.D. in early Christian history, he told me that there were at least a half dozen Messiah-like characters who lived within a century of Jesus' time. And each one of these so-called Messiahs ended up dead either from a rival group or by the Romans. Now, what the death of the so-called Messiah meant was that he wasn't the Messiah. Right? So the followers of these so-called Messiahs would, would move on because he's dead. And obviously, he's not the Messiah. So the followers would go back to what they used to do. Go back to being a fisherman or go back to where they lived. 
and and they would join or or they would join up this new leader uh, that they they put their hope in to to be this messiah character and they would grab onto that other person this up and coming messiah candidate and this happened numerous times in history and it didn't mean that the the leader's followers didn't love him anymore or or that their former leader wasn't inspirational to them anymore but they didn't follow him anymore no one follows a dead messiah and in the middle of all this thought about a messiah delivering the jews from the romans comes this humble rabbi named jesus and he was unique he was unique in how he he talked about the kingdom of god See, all the other messiahs talked about the kingdom of god as well but jesus talked about it in a in a strange way to his audience he he included women unheard of in those days he included gentiles unheard of in that day he even included the very oppressors of the jewish people the romans very much unheard of and like the other messiah like figures he spoke about commandments but he talked about the greatest of them being love and he did it with authority like no others and while he was living here on earth he got his followers hopes up and that was until the day he got nailed on the cross by the romans and and the rival groups who opposed him and while they were nailing him to that cross the message was becoming loud and clear to his followers he's not it he's not the one he's not the one we were waiting for he was not the one we were hoping for and you can imagine the devastation of those followers of his the closest followers of his and you can imagine how horrified they were how terrified they were thinking that what was going to happen to them for for following Jesus who was now dying by crucifixion they're they're finished nowhere to run nowhere to hide and and it's clear that he's not the one and no one follows the dead messiah but then you notice that in a very short amount of time that these people come together again and and this is historical there's no debate about this they come back together again and they leave their jobs again and they recommit themselves to Jesus selling their belongings and delivering a message to the world that God is love to deliver a message that Jesus is the messiah Yes, he died on a cross, but he was buried in a tomb and then he rose on the third day. He came back to life and they told the world that they saw him, that they touched him, that they talked with him, that they ate with him. He is the one. And that was the message. So we we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 now, starting in verse 3, we're going to read through verse 8. For I delivered to you first of all that which I received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas then by the 12 after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain to the present but some have fallen asleep after that he has he was seen by James then by all the apostles Then last of all he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. See Paul wrote these words within 20 years of Jesus death. And in verse 3 Paul writes for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received 
This is a statement of belief for the early church. This is a creed for the early church. And scholars think that this creed was written between 8 and 10 years of Jesus' death. All of the gospel accounts in the Bible were written within 30 and 60 years of Jesus' death. There, there were still eyewitnesses around when the gospel accounts were written. And his followers tell us he was killed and buried, but he came back to life and they saw him. They spent their lives delivering that message. See, you have to ask yourself, what incentive did they have to do this? There is no monetary benefit. There isn't any type of physical, tangible type of benefit whatsoever. They were abused, they were mocked, they were tortured, they were imprisoned, they were killed. They suffered for this. Why? Because he really rose from the dead. And they believed it. There are many believers of different causes and different religions who are willing to die for that cause or that religion. People are willing to die for their beliefs. But this one was different. These followers of Jesus were willing to die for a claim that they had seen with their own eyes, heard with their own ears, conversed with their own mouths, touched with their own hands, a Messiah who came back to life. This changed the world. And imagine being in a, a DeLorean time machine. Okay? And you're in that DeLorean with Marty McFly. And you've reached 88 miles per hour. And you've generated 1.21 gigawatts of power to travel to the first century. So there you are in the first century, okay? And while you're there, you observe these Christians, these, these little, this minute, minuscule group, right? Following the way. And, and you observe also the Roman Empire. And you know what the future is, right? So you know who survives. But, but let's say you don't know the future. And, and let's say you didn't know what happened there, and you, you just came to that point in place, and you were looking at it, and, and you would think to yourself, okay, now who's going to survive here, this Christian group following the way, or the Roman Empire? You would think it would be the powerful Roman Empire, wouldn't you? You wouldn't think that these misfits of a few hundred who claim that some disreputable carpenter rose from the grave would live on 2,000 years later. But Christianity did survive. And this belief of a resurrected Savior, Jesus, is alive. So much so that we name our kids after Christian heroes like Peter, Paul, and Mary. Right? And while the, the only things we name after anyone from the Roman Empire is like a salad, right? Like Caesar salad. So, so how can this be? Were they actually correct? Was the claim true? They did say the tomb was empty. We are told that Jesus appeared to hundreds of people. And Paul tells us that some of those people were alive when he was writing this letter to the Corinthians. They were still there. You can still ask them. I saw them. I put my hand there. I ate with them. And while the school year is uh, coming to an end very soon, for those of you in school and, and for those of us who went to school a long time ago, do you remember how you got at the end of the semester? Do you remember how you got towards the end when you started getting restless and bored and, and wished that class was over already? And But the instructor keeps going on and on and on, and everything the professor says is just like insignificant until somebody or, or you ask, is this going to be on the final? 
And if the instructor says yes, and you're like, Whoa. right, you're ready. Right, your ears perk up, you sit up, and, and, and you start taking notes, actually. And there's something to that question, because that question helps you determine whether you have to really know a certain piece of information or if you can just disregard it. And here we have Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Now, keep in mind that a significant majority of the audience here, they were, they were illiterate. They couldn't read this letter. And, they, and, and, and Paul wrote this beautiful letter, but most of them couldn't read it, and they couldn't mass produce it. It would be useless anyway. They couldn't read it anyway. So, how did they do it? Someone got up, and he read it. He read it out loud to an audience. He read this letter. And this isn't a short letter, is it? It's a long letter. And the person would read every word, and it would take probably an hour because it took me an hour to read it straight through. So keep this in mind because all this time is passing by, and something tends to happen in an audience, right? Take a guess. It's the same thing that happens in your lecture at the end of the year. How many of you find your minds wandering elsewhere when someone's been speaking for a while? How many of you just missed my question because your mind was wandering? (laughs) And I think Paul knows that this goes on in people, so he says some things to get people's attention. And perhaps you're the type of person who soaks up spiritual information with ease and says, eh, no big deal, I know everything. And, And maybe you aren't. And maybe you're just not entirely sure what the heart of Christianity is. Whatever the case, you've chosen a really good Sunday to be here because Paul is going to give us an executive summary about Christianity. Paul is going to tell us what's going to be on the final. And it's this passage that we're talking about. And Paul is telling us to straighten up, perk up our ears, start taking notes. Paul is showing us the core of the Christian faith in two foundational truths in this passage. Let's explore the first foundational truth to the Christian faith. So I'm going to start unpacking this truth, and then I'd like you to think about where you stand in relation to that truth. And the first thing Paul writes is in verse 3, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried. The most recent Newsweek magazine, dated for tomorrow, but it's available now, has a cover story on it. and It's, it's called The Decline and Fall of Christian America. And it's Easter, so I don't want to focus on Newsweek, but, but that title is in the shape of a cross. Right? I think the article has some good things to say, but, but I think there's an answer to the cover page's statement. The decline and fall of Christian America, and why is it so? It's because Christians have forgotten the cross. The answer is right there for them did it themselves. He died for our sins. Jesus died because our world was messed up and because of the choices that we, that we made and the part that that played in it. And do you know how, how ironic this is? Here we have a cover story about the end of Christian America and there are, there are two other headline stories that help define this post-Christian uh, nation cover story. And one of them is the fall of Russia's richest man. It's all about Greed. And the other uh, headlining story is about puppy mills. Again, all about greed. And here you have Jesus. No greed at all. Generously giving of his life. 
And so now we here we have Newsweek talking about this. Interesting. Decline and fall of Christian America. And, and if we ever wonder why, I think we just have to look at the cover and the symbol the title makes in the shape of a cross. We've forgotten that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried. And we as Christians, we get, we get so caught up on being culturally relevant. We get so caught up in morality issues, so caught up in social justice issues and what's being taught in schools and political issues. They're all very good things. All very good things for us Christians to address. But those aren't what, what are foundational to the faith in Jesus Christ. What is the foundational truth to our faith is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried. And I think most of you know this illustration. There's, there's this cliff where you're at. There's a, this immense gulf. And on the other side is God. And the Bible writers tell us that there's this uncrossable chasm that was caused by sin. And the way for us to get from one side to the next is a cross. And the cross, which allows us to be intimately connected with God, to, to have a clean conscience and to have a heart full of love for people. And the cross, to cross the uncrossable. And as Christians, we, we all know that there's a gap. And we all know that it, it's there because of sin. And I think most religions know that there's a gap between humans and God. Most religions attempt to bridge the gap between God and people by doing good things. And people have been trying to do this for thousands of years. When I was a kid, I, I have a ton of cousins. And um, we would play at my grandfather's family compound in Mexico. It was awesome. It was really awesome. He had quite an estate and, and all the crazy grandkids would be playing out there. And um, I, I have crazy cousins. And in the compound, there were these uh, lines for drying clothes. And each side of this line were, were these T-bars, right? And then the lines would stretch across the T-bars. And um, my cousin's goals and my goal, too, was to be able to jump from one T-bar over to the other one and catch the other one and swing. That was our goal. Mind you, this is 25 yards away. So we're about eight years old, so we think we can do it. And then we're not afraid. We don't know fear yet. Right, so we so we roll over these big heavy metal drums over to one of the T bars, and and these T bars about five six feet high. So we climb on top of the drum, and then we climb on top of this T bar, and we're up on the T bar looking. Oh, right, and then we start daring each other, like, hey, go, you go first. No, you go first. And then T bars twenty five yards away, and so we start jumping. And most of us are just not concent are just concentrating not to fall. Right, we're just like, okay, I'm just gonna. Hey, right? And we just kind of hop just to see how the landing's going to be. But, but one of my cousins did a full-on leap. He ate it. <laughs> bad. Really bad. Blood pouring down his face. He looked like Harry. And he was just everywhere. Just, ah. And it was pretty scary. Needless to, to say that um, we weren't allowed to jump off the T-bar anymore. But this is the story of the human race. People thinking that they can bridge a gap that they can't really get to. People who think that if they do enough, if they jump far enough, if, if they do enough good deeds, that if they go to church enough, that if they give enough money towards worthy causes, if they get involved in good causes, that if they learn more about good things, religious things, that something is going to be able to let them bridge that gap. Impossible. You're going to get bloody-faced. No one in history 
No one in the history of humanity has ever been able to bridge that gap. No one. And because no one has, you wouldn't even know how much you'd have to do, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't know how much is enough. And so the writers of Scripture tells us the foundational truth to Christianity. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came down to earth, lived as you and I, was crucified on the cross, and on that cross he died the death that you and I should have died. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death. Sin brings about physical death. It brings about spiritual death. It brings about relational death. And that death is what Jesus took on himself. He died for our sins to bridge the gap between where we are and where God is so that anyone who wants a relationship with God can have an intimate relationship with a loving God. Not from anything that you do, but because of what Jesus has already done. It's a gift, a free gift of grace. And this is the first foundational truth of Christianity, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. What does that mean? That was his plan. That was God's plan. And then Paul writes the second foundational truth, verse 4. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. It was God's plan. Everything changed on the third day. Christianity busted through one day. From just seeing death to being able to see life. And historically speaking, after the third day, his followers, whose hopes were smashed, their their attitudes were just disenchanted, and they were emotionally distraught following the, the crucifixion. They went out in boldness and courage to tackle all sorts of suffering, difficulties, imprisonment. They spread the good news because they saw life when they expected to see death. Back in college, I volunteered as an EMT at a L.A. County General Hospital. And one of the things I was asked to do along with other EMT volunteers was to take dead bodies down to the morgue. That sucked. I really did. I was 19 years old, and uh, I haven't seen very many dead bodies, but once I got there, there were a lot. And um, I had to take these bodies down several floors, so from like ICU or um, from, from the ER and things like that, to the bottom floor. And you know um, those scenes from those classic horror films? Just like that. It was just like that. And I spoke with a friend um, who's a professor at USC who works in the hospital, and, and he told me it's the same thing, and he told me, I never go down there, man. It's scary. And so everything else in that hospital is remodeled now, except that part. It's freaky. And so, so just picture in your head, Imagine this old elevator, a really old one, and the metal parts are rusting inside of it. The corners are peeling, you know, from the, from the insides, and, and it's squeaky, and it's not very stable, and, and the lights flicker. And, um, and then the metal doors open, and it's a really long hallway. Um, no one's there, right? And it, it's cooler down there. And when the doors open, you get these goosebumps because this nice little breeze opens up, and you you get these little goosebumps, and then it gets eerily silent because, you know, you hear the elevator goes, and hello, 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 hello. <laughs> and then you can see your breath. It's kind of, it's chilly down there, and you're the only live person down there. 
And lights are flickering in this old, quiet hallway where some of the lights don't even work. So you're like, oh, man, when I go through that dark patch, okay, you know. And, um, and then on the other end, way down there, is the morgue. And the gurneys never cooperated, right? So you had to struggle to push them. So you couldn't just like, spread, ah, you couldn't, you had to go, oh, come on, come on, come on. And, and if you were lucky, another volunteer was available to go with you. But most of the time, it was just one person. They're like, hey, uh, Albert, can you take this one? <sighs> okay. And so um, when it was just one person, uh, they never came back. Okay. <laughs> so, so one of these times, um, I went with this newer guy. He, he, was, he was a really, really cool cat. I mean, he was, he, he was, I wish I stayed in touch with him. He was so awesome. But he was kind of freaked out about doing this. He never wanted to do this. And in training, they tell us that it's possible that the bodies can, can still make noise, that, that the bodies can still move. And so they, they tell us this, right? So just to, to forewarn us, even when they're dead. So I guess he wasn't paying attention in class because um, we were transporting this body to, a mor- to the morgue, rolling it down this long, flickering light hallway. And, and, you know, I was in the front and I'm pulling it this way, and he's pushing it this way, and we, we have a good, we, we've gone a good distance already. And then um, the body made a noise. He said, like, And um, he was gone. Like, he took off. He was like, all of a sudden I heard a, uh, and then I was like, oh, it got heavy. What? And, I, and he was gone. I, he, um, he wasn't the thinnest guy. I've never seen a guy his size move that fast. Like, it was like he was a superhero because I couldn't even hear any footsteps. It was like I looked back and was like, there. And uh, so I, I, I turn around and he's there and he's like, oh, 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 pressing the button. And um, see, when people see life when they're expecting death, they run. And they run fast. Foundational to the core of Christianity. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that... He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remains at the present. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he, he was seen by James and by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Jesus opened his eyes. He started breathing again. He started taking in oxygen into his lungs again. His heart was pumping again. And he woke up on the third day. He came out of the tomb and he showed people he was alive. To tell them he was alive. To, to dine with them. And to physically interact with them. People started running all over. Telling of the good news. And they haven't stopped because this is good news. Right? Death doesn't win. That's the good news. Christianity is not a theory. It's not just a value system or or a set of ethical teachings. It is an offer of a relationship to God, with God, a resurrected Messiah. And it was a historical event where, where many people said that they saw him, touched him. People were there who were firsthand eyewitnesses. Now, let's look at three categories people place the Easter story in so that you know where you stand. And what the next step in your spiritual journey might be. There are probably more than three, but I think most of us can fall under these three categories. And 
After considering these three categories, ask yourself if, if you'd be willing to make a decision about that today. If you were to ask people about the resurrection to honestly answer whether they actually believe that it happened, I think most will say that they aren't 100% sure. They understand it to be a part of culture and, and maybe it's, part, it's probably more of a myth. And they may observe Easter and they might even go to church to celebrate this so-called thing, but not view the, res, res, uh, the, the resurrection as a historical event, but rather that it's, it's a symbolic event or a, or a metaphor about hope. And if you find yourself in this category um, this evening, perhaps the next step in your spiritual journey is to begin researching, to begin investigating. And there's this book out. It's actually several years old. It's called The Case for Easter. And it's a journalist who investigates the evidence for the resurrection. It's by someone named Lee Strobel. And it's $2.99 on Amazon. If you can't afford it, let me know. I'll buy that book for you. And if you're skeptical about this whole resurrection thing, Strobel approaches the resurrection in, in this investigative way. He's a graduate from Yale, and he's a former investigative journalist from the Chicago Tribune. And he used to be a devout atheist. And he looked down on Christians and... He, but he decided to investigate Christianity after his wife became a follower of Jesus. And as he was investigating, one of the, the major dilemmas Strobel faced was, if Jesus really came and he invested three years of his life into his disciples, and then Jesus was nailed to the cross and those disciples ran away into hiding, how is it possible that they later became martyrs of a leader whose corpse was supposedly decomposing in a tomb? How is it possible for their lives to be changed so radically if Jesus remained dead? How could the disciples change so drastically from running away in fear to suddenly, suddenly willing to suffer and face death and imprisonment? Can that be done for what is known to be a lie? I hope that if you have any doubts about the resurrection that you'll investigate that claim, that you'll research that claim. And perhaps you think it really did happen, and it's true. And this is the second category, that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, but you've never taken the next step by personally responding to that. And maybe it's time for you to personally respond instead of trying to bridge the gap between you and God by doing good things, by going to church more often, or by doing good deeds, or by giving more. It's time to make a decision. Just knowing the information just doesn't cut it. There needs to be a decision to freely accept his gift of forgiveness and love. And you do that by humbly approaching him and, and, and asking him to forgive you of your sins and for him to be Lord of your life. Decide on that. And then there's the third category. Where people believe Jesus died on a cross and he resurrected. And you've committed yourself as a follower of Jesus. And perhaps God is encouraging you to Ask him for the power of the resurrection to be evident in your life. And last week there was some crazy thunder and lightning going on here. That's power. That made the DeLorean fly. Or have you guys seen that show, World's Strongest Man? Our interns enter those challenges. Um, they're retired now. They were former competitors. They're still powerful, by the way. And after their internship, they're going to join the power team. Have you guys seen them, the power team? 
You have to watch them if you have, if you have. You just got to YouTube them. They're awesome. They're these Christian guys who do these evangelistic outreaches and, and they tear phone books with their bare hands and they break handcuffs with their, their I get wrists, I guess. And they break bats and, and they, they bend metal, they bend steel bars and they break bricks with different parts of their body. They're powerful. Hence the name, the power team. Right? But the power of Jesus was unlike any type of power the world has ever seen. People flocked to him because he healed people. People who were once lame walked. People who were once blind can now see. And the lepers were cleansed. People witnessed him defy authority. And even though the witness, uh, they witnessed such power, when Jesus stretched out his arms, nailed to the cross, many people thought that they were witnessing weakness. They were wrong. Because on the third day, there was power. Some of us could really use some power in our lives, huh? Perhaps God wants the, the power of the resurrection to be evident in your life. Maybe it's, it's a stone that needs to be rolled away in your life. Maybe a relationship. Maybe it's your faith. Something at work or school, a, a neighbor, an addiction. Something out of your control or something that has control of you. Maybe that's your next step. Ask God for that power to be evident in your life. See, this stuff is on the final. It's really important. Meditate upon what God wants to do in your life and think about what your next steps are to be. And God is there in every step of your spiritual journey. He's not hiding from you. Let's read on some other verses in chapter 15 as we close here. Starting in verse 11, chapter 15, I'm going to go through verse... This is 11 through 19, and then uh, I'm just going to pause and highlight a couple of those verses. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Pay attention to this verse, verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Pay attention here. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Attention here. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Whether you believe in the resurrection or not, this is what gave birth to the Christian church. Without the resurrection, there is no church. There is no Christianity. It all hinges on the resurrection. If you ever wanted to see the downfall of Christianity, just disprove the resurrection. People have been trying to do it for 2,000 years. It all hinges on this. There was a group of people who went door to door to talk about their faith. They knocked on the door of a mom who had a mop in one hand and a baby on the other side. And then they heard a child crying in the other room. And then the mother's phone started ringing. And then there was this loud music playing in the, in the background and the television was on and it was equally as loud. And then you could hear that the washer and the dryer were going to and that the dishwasher was running also. And then they started to smell something burning from the kitchen like something. And then the timer went off. 
And then the dog was running around the house with these muddy paws, and he just stole the food from the kitchen and that was the family's lunch. And then she asked them, how may I help you? And they asked her, are you interested in eternal life? She looked at her baby and she looked at them. She said, frankly, I don't think I could stand it. That was my wife. Totally joking. (laughs) The point of Christianity and Jesus' resurrection is not about eternal afterlife. It's not. It's not about immortality. The point of Jesus' resurrection and and Christianity is that God was going to make things right. All the messed up stuff in the world including death, was going to be made right. And it was going to be done by Jesus. And he came from his throne, from heaven, to us, to pay that price that no one else could pay. See, it's good to ask questions and and to answer any doubts that you may have, but, but you can't stop there. You have to get to a place where you can make a decision. A decision as to whether uh, you're going to follow him or or someone else or something else. You're going to entrust your life to something or someone, even if it's just yourself. If If it's your family, if it's your job, if it's money, whatever. You're going to entrust your life to something or someone. And I think the best thing to do is to experience God by inviting him into your life. And you ask him. Test him out. Try him out. And he will prove himself to you how great a God he is. A forgiving God, a hopeful God, a loving God, a God who won't lead you astray. A God of life who overcame the grave 2,000 years ago. Verses 3 and 4. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That was for you. That is on the final. He's risen. Let's pray. Lord, we as your followers, oftentimes we, we complicate things. We, uh, we want to make things so much more than uh, they really are when, when you've made them really simple. You came and, and you died. And you were buried and you rose again. And you overcame the grave, you overcame death, you overcame all of our sins so that we can have a loving relationship with God. God, thank you so much for that. And I pray, Lord, that for those of us here, um, we have uh, different categories we fall in. Those that don't know you at all, those of us that know you but haven't made a decision, and those of us that do know you, but we would want to be empowered with resurrection power, to go about your works. Lord, I ask that uh, for those people, as your Holy Spirit works within their heart and their spirit and their minds, that they would reach out to someone in our community and, and have a chat and talk and pray about these things. It's not enough that we just know in our heads. We have a decision to make, and I ask, Lord, that your Spirit would, would be here to help people make decisions. In Jesus' name, amen.